Welcome to the Madrigos Midwest podcast, Mental Health Matters, where we discuss mental health matters because we know that mental health matters. Welcome to the next episode of the Madrigos Midwest podcast, Mental Health Matters. My name is Yechiel Bressler, and I am the Assistant Director of School Programming at Madrigos Midwest, and it is a pleasure to host together with Shira Berkowitz, the Director of School Programs at Madrigos Midwest. And it is a pleasure to host today, this is Leanne Foreman, our uh, esteemed guest who we are so excited to have on this, uh, on this episode. Thank you for joining with us. Thank you for having me. So, you know, we like to, instead of us doing the bio in this context, since it is more appropriate to have a conversation style here. Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, about your organization, just a little bit of basic background. Okay. Um, So I'm Leanne Foreman. I am currently the Executive Director of Communities Confronting Substance Abuse, or CCSA. Um, I live in Teaneck. We have five children, two grandchildren, and we founded the organization based on our own family's experience with addiction. Our second oldest daughter, who is now 26, struggled with addiction, mainly in her college years. Um, I'm actually a corporate attorney by training. I gave up that career of over 27 years of being a lawyer um, to move into this full time. Wow. Amazing. So you're not, you are not a mental health professional by training then? Not at all. And I don't pretend to be. (laughs) Wow. Okay. Well, uh, It's amazing that you're able to put that on hold for recognizing the need at hand. Can you tell us more about your organization, CCSA? Sure, sure. Um, I mean, there's a little bit of history of how we came about besides our own personal experience, but I can get to that as we continue the conversation. Um, Basically, when our daughter was going through this, we felt very alone. We felt like there was no one to talk to. We felt like there was a tremendous amount of stigma around the disease of addiction. We didn't understand what it, what it meant. Um, we understood about other mental health issues, but we really didn't understand what addiction was exactly. Um, fast forward, our daughter went into rehab in Florida. Um, we, about a year later, we're actually standing in line at the Kosher Dunkin' Donuts in Teaneck, what we're a little bit famous for, I guess, around here. Um, I'm very familiar from my time over there. <laughs> a little bit, a little bit too familiar. <laughs> um, yeah, now they have Dunkin' on the go, so that's even worse. Uh, <laughs> but um, we happened to be standing in line behind our rabbi, who knew our situation, knew about Ilana's situation, and he asked how she was doing, and you know, we said, gave him an update. And I'm a very sarcastic person. I guess it goes with the territory of being a lawyer, um, being kind of sharp and analytical, I guess, sharp-tongued. Um, I said to him, you know, Rabbi, you would never guess. We are the only family in Teaneck. We're the only family that we know of going through this. And he turned and kind of sadly nodded and said, if you only knew. And when he said that, it really, my husband was there too, it really struck a chord with us that, you know, we knew statistically it was impossible. We were the only ones do, going through this. Um, but again, nobody discussed it. There's a little bit of chatter around depression, around eating disorders, around other mental health issues, 
nobody really spoke about this. Um, so we went to our five kids, especially our daughter. This is really her story to tell, not ours. And we said, how would you feel if we talked about this publicly, if we just brought it out? And she said, I have one condition, and that is that you give my email address and my phone number so I can help people. So we said, okay, that's a great condition. Well, we can live with that one. Yeah. Um, we went to, she has one older brother and three younger siblings, and especially the two youngest are my daughters, my other daughters, and they're in the same high school that she went to. And I said, listen, you're with her teachers and you're in the same school that she graduated from. And, you know, I, I need to know how you feel, you know, being identified as, let's say, the sister of the addict. You know, we'll put it in the most negative terms, I guess. And they all, without hesitation, said, go for it. You know, we want you to do this. So we organized an event in April 2018. Um, we were expecting, we did a local high school here. We were expecting, I don't know, 50, 100 people. Happened to be the week before the event, um, the two local Jewish newspapers and the secular newspaper, the Bergen Record, all ran this as their front page story. So we already knew that we had struck a chord because we're, why would the media make such a big deal about this? And it was, you know, headlines like addiction and, you know, Orthodox Jewish community, Orthodox Jewish family comes forward. Um, I kept on saying to myself to reassure myself that I was doing the right thing. I kept on saying, you know, go big or go home. Like we're going <laughs> to, we're going to do this. Right. Um, and that night, 700 people showed up and apparently there were another 300 listening to the live stream online. Amudim was the organization that helped us organize this event. Um, we each collectively brought in a rabbi to speak from a communal perspective, somebody who's an expert in addiction. Rabbi Gluck from Amundim spoke from his personal experience in this world. Um, my husband spoke from our personal experience and we had somebody in recovery speak who I, both of us actually, Rabbi Gluck and I were affiliated with, but I convinced him to do it. Um, for which I think he has not totally forgiven me yet, but <laughs> it was the first time he was recording his story and he actually, you know, he has children. So um, wow. he was very, torn about doing it, but because of our relationship, I kind of pressed him into doing it. So, wow. um, so that was the inception. That was, you know, hitting a thousand people in one night. Um, the event started out with a woman coming up to us literally in tears, could not get the words out at first and finally said, I'm getting a little choked up, but <laughs> uh, finally said, um, you know, thank you so much for doing this. My son died from an overdose four years ago. And that's how the evening began. And it ended with somebody who I've known for over a decade, whose son has been and is still struggling with addiction. And he came up to me and said, you know, I've known you for 10 years. I never knew about your daughter and you don't know about my son. And it had really been like that from the time the newspaper articles came out for weeks and weeks and weeks after this event, me too, me too, me too, my husband, my wife, my sister, my brother, my daughter, my son, my uncle, my, you know, just story Everyone. after story after story. That's amazing. Um, and thank you for opening that up and uh, something which is so clearly so prevalent and it just took a brave, I guess, brave volunteer or and stupid. an incredible family. <laughs> Right. One or the yeah. other, bravery, stupidity, one or the other. <laughs> <laughs> right, but to, to open that up, to make everyone uh, feel comfortable sharing with each other. Um, I, you know, when you first said nobody talked about addiction, you know, I assumed you, you were saying this was many years ago. Um, and then when you said the event was in April of 2018. Right. 
That really surprises me. We're only talking a couple of years ago. I really would have thought my impression was it was a lot more out there. And, and I'm curious also if you've seen a big change in the last three years in terms of the conversation about addiction in our community. So there's definitely been a shift. Um, I, I think that, you know, with not, without patting ourselves too much on the back, we have been told that that night created such a shift in our community and such a shift in the area and, you know, around us. Um, in terms of conversations. I know our rabbi who, you know, he's, he's a lovely man, but he's not one for, you know, being flowery and complimentary actually came up to us about a year later and said, you have no idea what you've done for this community. And I count on people like that who are kind of, you know, have the inside scoop as to right. what's going on and they're taking the pulse of the community. And, you know, it did, it created a dialogue. One of the things um, you asked before, Shira, about the organization itself, we put out feedback cards that night. We had some foresight that this was not going to be a one and done. And we were not yet formed as a not-for-profit, but we were, you know, kind of anticipating we wanted to turn this into something more than just one event. Um, so we put out feedback cards. We got back the three main things that we followed through with. One was more events like that, more community education and awareness events, which we've held some large ones and some smaller ones um, since then. The second was to start a support group for loved ones that there, you know, there's AA meetings and there are NA meetings and there are groups for people who are actually struggling, whether they, you know, are an IOP or some other kind of treatment program, but for the families, and it is a family disease that affects everybody in the family. Um, it, there wasn't any support for those, for the family members. Um, so when you talk about, you know, creating dialogue and opening up and, and discussions, that was very striking to us that we started the support group kind of not knowing who was gonna show up. And unfortunately we've had steady attendance since we started it in May, 2018. Um, so I think there is more openness now where there wasn't before. Um, and the last thing that we do, which um, you know is kind of our, I don't wanna call it bread and butter, but it is something that we feel very strongly about is getting into the schools, educating students about substances, talking to them about refusal skills, what do substances do to your brain and body? You know, you're gonna be exposed to them. Let's make good choices when we are exposed to them. We do parent programming about communicating on these difficult issues with the children. Um, we do faculty training on recognizing the signs and symptoms of a student struggling. We do other programming. We're, we're you know, gonna be speaking at Yeshiva University to the pastoral class. Um, the rabbis there who you know, are, are gonna be out there in the communities. Last year we addressed um, a group of students who are you know, gonna be communal rabbis. I've spoken at the YU Rebbitson conference, um, mainly about parity, you know, it was sort of a panel, but my main point was, you know, you as a Rebbitson in the community, when you hear somebody has cancer, what do you do? You know, what do you do for that family? So reframe it in your mind that this is not an embarrassing, shameful condition. This is something that a family needs help with and whatever that family might need, whether they're a very private family as somebody could be very private about cancer, or their family who needs carpools and you know whatever whatever it is grocery shopping cooking Shabbos with you know just a shoulder to cry on um, you know to to try to treat this as it is a mental health disease. I'm just I'm I'm curious. It's really incredible. Um, it sounds like you've really done tremendous work. You've talked a lot about the community embracing you know, your work. And I'm curious if there's been any pushback. Have you gotten any negative feedback or people like, how could you, 
you know, bring this out in the open about the Orthodox community? Um, I would say 99% of what I'm aware of has been um, supportive. Um, the only time, well, I got pushed back in two different ways, I guess. Um, one time I was asked by a magazine if we would tell our story. I, I'm not gonna name the publication, but I was asked if we could, if we could tell our story. And I said, of course, the more people we reach, the more people we talk to, the less stigma there is associated with this, the more people get help, families get the support they need, there's more dialogue, better outcomes. I'm, I'm all for eliminating stigma. Um, they asked if they could interview Ilana. Ilana has been interviewed a few times on this. And um, she said, of course, you know, of course I'll speak to them. And in the discussion, she actually brought it up um, because I guess she felt a little bit self-conscious, she's no longer observant. So she said, can you please tell them that I'm not observant anymore? And I said, Ilana, I don't think that makes a difference. I mean, you know, this is, this is about families getting help and whether or not their loved one who is struggling is keeping Torah mitzvot or not, you know, addiction is a disease and they need help with the disease. I was wrong. <laughs> it did matter to the magazine. They said, you know, we don't want to, to do that. We don't want to send the wrong message. And I said, I actually think you're sending the wrong message by not interviewing her because you're just contributing to the stigma. And again, my non-clinician, because I'm not a clinician, take on any kind of mental health disease where somebody ends up being not observant anymore, they're struggling, they're in pain. You know, we are a religion that demands looking in the mirror and saying, who am I? What's my relationship with God? What's my relationship with my fellow man? What's my relationship with myself? How can you look in a mirror if you don't like yourself? You know, if you're in that much pain and you're, you know, struggling, whether it's with substances or some other mental health issue, I think is, I think religion is one of the things that falls by the wayside first. I've not only seen it in my family, I've seen it in many, many of the families that we work with. Um, it's just a casualty. It's an unfortunate casualty. Some kids can come back to it. Some kids maintain it, um, but they're very not connected emotionally until they solve their issue and work through their problems. And I just, I basically told the editor that, um, you know, you're contributing to the stigma. You're, you're not helping people by, you know, cutting off somebody who can talk from their own firsthand experience. She is a very spiritual, very connected person, probably more spiritual and connected to God than she was growing up in the yeshiva world. Um, but I, I felt that that was a mistake. And I told them that, you know, they were willing to interview me, but not her. And I said, no, we're, we're a package deal. This is either all or nothing. So that was one pushback. And the other one, again, from not from a community around here, um, there, when the, when the, News first came out about the April 2018 event. There was some kind of blog post or something. And one person, I, didn't, I couldn't see the comments, but one person forwarded me a, a screenshot. Oh, it must be the way they parented. You know, it must be, it must be oh their parenting. Gosh. And I was like, okay, you know. Wow. So if my, if my kid had cancer, I guess I parented them wrong. Like, right. <laughs> what does that mean? So, you know, there, there are ignorant people out there. I wouldn't say there was pushback, like, why did you do this? But again, 99%, I mean, those are two things I can point to off the top of my head, but 99% of it has been um, gratitude for bringing this to the forefront, you know, approached and thanked for people for speaking openly about this, people telling us that, they, that they're, you know, they feel more able to get the help they need, people coming to our support group. That's, that's a big one. I mean, I have people who have approached me. For every person in the support group, there are probably three who have asked about it. 
And for those three, there are probably 10 more who don't even ask about it. So there are three that ask about it. They don't show up, you know, what's it about? What's going on? They're still like a little nervous. I remember one person asked me, you know, what happens if I know someone there? They're gonna hear my story. What happens if I know someone? And I said, right, and you know them. <laughs> And you're going to hear their story. And that's the beauty of it. We, we get it. We understand what you're going through. You're not alone. And we can share resources and we can talk about, you know, some people are farther along in the spectrum of recovery and dealing with a loved one than others. We can share advice, perspective. You know, it's all very, very private. We have it professionally facilitated by three people who volunteer their time. And it's completely, completely closed to just people who have loved ones struggling. Nobody else is allowed in. So... Oh, we hope that that model so helps people, for... but not everybody is willing to come forward. <laughs> right. Wow. Thank you so much for, for bringing this to the forefront. And of course, you're always going to have those who, like you said, either are ignorant or have some agenda or whatever it may be that uh, aren't going to take with it. But 99% is pretty good. I would take that. So <laughs> yeah, so, I'm very happy. Yeah, that's really, really incredible. Um, and, you know, a, a lot of that stuff, it sounds like, uh, you know, Shira is the as we mentioned, the director of the school programming. And I know you guys have, have spoken as well about the, the school piece. And uh, we hope at the right time to be able to get you to come here to Chicago and uh, you know do, do some programs for us there also. And for parenting programs, we hope to, to also bring that to the community in the near future. Um, you know, and, and we've been hearing a lot, obviously, about addiction. And it seems like, is this particularly particular to drinking, to drugs? Do you deal with Anyone in particular deal deal with general addiction? What's the focus? Um, so we, I mean, we see a little bit of everything. I've had people approach me. You know, I had one person approach me um, with a spouse who happened to be a physician who was self-prescribing opiates and dabbling in heroin. Um, you know, from a very from community, and I'm not again. I'm not going to name which one, but um, and that's not unusual. You know, to have spouses who are struggling with alcoholism. Um, marijuana is a huge issue right now, huge. I think the perception is so skewed towards thinking it is harmless, it's not addictive, it doesn't really do anything where, you know, there are definite risks of addiction, developing a substance use disorder, the effect it has on the teenage brain. It, you know, there are long-term permanent effects, um, particularly here in New Jersey that it's been legalized now for recreational use. I think, you know, we're gonna see unfortunately more widespread use and the attitude of people even who don't use it is must not be a big deal if it's legalized. Um, so it's really sad to see that because it's a whole marijuana lobby behind it and people don't realize the money and the politics that go into it. Um, vaping, huge. Um, vaping starting as early as seventh, eighth grade, even younger probably, but I'm hearing about it from teachers and schools that are concerned about it in, you know, amongst their middle schoolers. Um, you know, you have nicotine, which is one of the most addictive substances in the world. Right. And the tobacco industry, people don't realize Philip Morris owns a big chunk of Juul. And, um, you know, they're creating a new generation of, of cigarette smokers. If you vape, you are four times more likely to become a traditional cigarette smoker at some time in the future. Um, alcohol, huge issue amongst teens. And, you know, we have data supporting that both alcohol and online sports betting for boys in particular um, are, are huge issues for yeshivas. Um, I would say gambling addictions in general, other behavioral addictions we've come across, we've come across sex addiction, we've come across, you know, and not just amongst kids, I mean, amongst adults also, you know, adults who are 
have internet addictions or pornography addictions. Um, we don't really deal in the behavioral addictions. That's not our forte. Um, we, we have relationships with clinicians and organizations and providers and people themselves who are in recovery. Um, and we tend to link people up with other people. Um, we did do an online event in October of this past year. We had over 250 people participate and we did have a session on behavioral addictions and we did bring up mainly, we, we talked about gambling, but we talked about other behavioral addictions as well. Um, you know, and COVID has been a huge contributor, unfortunately, because those that are most vulnerable to mental health issues right. are gonna succumb in this you know, time of pressure, anxiety, and uncertainty. Wow. So, so you so you deal mainly with substances, it sounds like, with kind of a, as a focus. Yeah, I mean, I would say the people in our support group, um, you know, mainly alcohol, marijuana, um, opiates. Um, yeah, those are, those are mainly, I'm trying to think if there's, I mean, we've had, you know, we get calls from all over the country um, and stories from all over the country, you know, telling us, you know, this is what's going on in my family and I, I don't have anybody I can talk to about it. And so we hear a lot of stories. I'm kind of a re receptacle for many things, but, um, you know, heroin is not out of, out of the limits of the Orthodox community. I'll just say that it's, you know, unfortunately, you know, pain medications and stimulants are things that are prescribed, very easy to abuse. If you have an addictive personality, it changes the way your brain chemistry works. It's not a far leap to move on to something harder like heroin from, you know, let's say Oxycontin or something. Right. Um, you know, it exists, it exists in our community. So we hope to have you soon, as Yechiel mentioned, for a more in-depth presentation for parents. Um, but just, I guess, kind of almost like as a teaser to that, if we could just cover a, a couple of points or at least start the conversation. Um, what are some things you would say to parents that they can do to prevent this problem before, before it becomes a problem? So one of the things we work on, we work on um, communication skills and how to bring up, this is a very difficult topic to bring up with kids. I think some parents are afraid of educating their kids. You know, like if I tell them this, oh my God, they're gonna know about it and then they're gonna go do it. Um, or, you know, it's, it's hard. It's a hard conversation to have. People wanna wait till the kids are older. Um, I would say, first of all, that, that you know, we've seen over time that parents are, are very surprised by how early their kids are exposed to substances. And it, it's not even just an unhealthy exposure. I mean, kiddish clubs and, you know, Friday night bottle of wine on the table or, you know, a shot of scotch the next day after shul. Um, they're seeing alcohol. Vaping, you know, some people may do it legitimately because they think it's a cessation device for actual smoking. It's not really been proven to be effective. And most people now become dual users where they smoke traditional tobacco cigarettes and they vape. Um, but, you know, they might see that. They might have older siblings who are dabbling, you know, in marijuana. Um, the exposure is early. Um, I think that the national statistic is that children as young as 12 and 13 are already abusing substances, which means they started even before they were 12 and 13. So even earlier than that. Um, and we are not immune, meaning, you know, just because we live in, in more sheltered communities, we're not really that far off from the national statistics. Um, we have 
strong community factors here. We have parental involvement, hopefully. Um, you know, programs like ours and other programs about awareness and education that improve self-control, that help educate children to make good choices. Um, you know, using opportunities to increase attachment to the community is another protective factor. That's what you call them, call them protective factors. So volunteering, um, you know, working, whether it's yachad or, you know, volunteering at the shul or a soup kitchen kind of thing. Um, but the biggest thing is delaying the onset of first use because the younger you are and with most of these substances, alcohol, marijuana, the younger you are, the more likely you are to become addicted. Um, you know, so, so delaying it till your brain is more fully developed. The brain doesn't fully develop until you're 25, but you know, delaying onset of first use beyond the middle school years and the teen years. And that's why it's important for parents to talk to their kids. Um, first of all, you want to be a trusted resource. You want to have the facts. You want your kids to be able to come to you. You want to have to have those open and honest conversations. You also want the connection with them. You want to, you know, know, let them know that you're aware. You're aware that this is what's going on. And you want to do that before they're exposed to it because that's going to resonate whether you think your kids are listening or not. And especially as they get into the teenage years and they're more susceptible to peer pressure and they're separating from you. Um, you know, they are listening. You are still an influence in their lives. So we talk a lot about how to bring up these topics. And we talk about what I just mentioned before, the protective factors. What can we do? You know, we can't stop exposure. That's not going to happen. That's not a, a factor that you can really change, but you can, you know, act out scenarios. You know, kids act on impulse. They're not really thinking clearly. They act, you know, out of their, their temporal lobe. Um, not their frontal cortex. They're not appreciating the risks and consequences of what they're doing. So you act out scenarios with them. You know, you're at a party um, or you lied to us. You went to a sleepover at so-and-so's house and you told us that's where you're going to be. But then, you know, you went somewhere else and there was alcohol. You know, what do you do? How can we get you out of that situation? Some people have, I mean, I know I had with my kids, I had to deal with every one of them when they started high school. And maybe I should have started talking to them even earlier. If you're ever in a situation where you're uncomfortable, somebody has been drinking, you don't want to get in the car with them, or there's alcohol or drugs at you know any gathering, whatever it is. And even if you've lied to us about where you are, pick up the phone. I don't care if it's one, two, four in the morning. We come get you, no questions asked, no punishment, no nothing. I want you alive and I want you safe and healthy. Um, some people have a code word, you know, text a code word, get me out of here. <laughs> you know, So it's it's important to have that kind of awareness for parents so that they can work out those situations with their kids in advance. Brilliant. <laughs> I love it. Um, I want to, I want to ask for more on that, but we want, uh, we, we don't want our listeners to get all the information right now. <laughs> um, are, are, are there a couple of key point signs that once, I guess, uh, you know, you've had this preventative piece, so once things start to develop, are there signs to be looking out for? Um, I mean, some of them are more subtle than others. Some of them might just be typical teenage behavior. Um, you can't jump to a conclusion that every odd behavior is drugs or other substances. Um, you know, you're really, first of all, as a parent, I would say, listen to your gut. If you think something is off, it's probably off. You know your kid, you know your kid better than anybody else knows your kid. Um, same thing with educators, by the way, you know, teachers are on the front lines and, and one of the things we communicate to faculty is the math teacher is just as important as the Chumash teacher 
It's not all on the guidance counselor's shoulders. You know, everybody in school is on the front lines. Everybody is, sometimes teachers are seeing these kids more than the parents are seeing them. Um, you know, they spend more hours during the week with them. So, you know, we have to like make it a collective communal responsibility that we're all looking out for the youth, you know, amongst us. Um, so I would say, you know, looking for shifts in mood and personality, you know, your very shy, quiet daughter is suddenly very gregarious and energetic. Um, your very, you know, happy-go-lucky son is now very quiet and sullen. Um, you know, that's one thing that's kind of a clear um, demonstration of that shift in personality, change in friends. You're, you know, suddenly your kid's hanging out with other kids that they never hung out with before. Um, they're sleeping more or they're sleeping less. They're avoiding eye contact. Sometimes there are physical symptoms, you know, red eyes, or they're sucking on mints or chewing on gum to hide, you know, their breath maybe. Um, a lot of times kids stop taking care of their hygiene, you know, you know, it used to be that they really took particular care of showering and getting dressed nicely and looking nice and now they suddenly don't. Um, you know, you're just looking for that shift. And again, it might be subtle, you know, just because your teenager goes to the room and closes the door and, you know, is acting very secretively doesn't mean that they're hiding substance use. But combined with kind of that spidey sense, <laughs> that sixth, sixth sense that parents have about kids, um, you're looking for kind of that overall, you know, this is my kid yesterday and this is, I don't know this kid today. I don't know what they're doing and maybe something is going on with them. Wow. Wow. You know, I love, I love what you said about every teacher needs to be on the front lines. Um, I don't think that every teacher sees that as their role. And it's something that I feel passionately about as well, that every single teacher should really not just be there to teach math or to teach Chumash, but to be kind of, you know, looking at the holistic picture, you know, of the child and say something, you know, if they have concern. Um, so I really like, I really like that you addressed that. What would you say to parents whose children have already began to start using, even if just an experimental stage or if they're ready on the next stage that they're using, um, where would you direct them? And I guess that really is a matter of you know, of course, where they live, but what would be your, you know, your key suggestions for that? Um, I mean, I think that, first of all, you know, sometimes kids go into this not really fully appreciating the risks, um, you know, of using substances. And so I would say to the parents, get yourself educated, understand, you know, um, while marijuana is not viewed as your traditional gateway drug, it is a problem, especially if you're susceptible to um, psychosis, it can it can enhance or worsen psychotic conditions. Um, there are many facts about marijuana, in particular, that, that people don't know. A lot of myths and misinformation. But in general, I mean, I'm talking about marijuana because I think amongst high school students, in particular, marijuana, alcohol, and vaping are probably the three things. We we when we come into schools, we talk about those three things in de in detail. Also, in the middle schools. Um, we do touch on opiates because, you know, listen, you get your wisdom teeth out or you fall off your bike and hurt your knee and a doctor pulls out that blue pad and prescribes you, you know, Vicodin or Percocet. Um, you know, kids have to be aware. They have to know that there's a risk associated with this. Um, so, but I would say that get yourself educated about what these substances are. Um, 
you know, be again, a reliable source of information for your kids. You, you know, you never want to mislead them. You know, I mean, if you don't know, you don't know and say, I don't know, I need to look into this, but, um, and I would say, make them aware that you're watching them, that not in a, you know, creepy, I'm spying on you way, but that you care, you're worried about their safety. You're worried about their health. You want them to grow up to be healthy, productive adults. Um, you know, establish that you disapprove of underage drinking, um, establish that, you know, you're concerned about vaping and nicotine, that you're concerned about alcohol, that you're concerned about other substances. Um, show them that you're paying attention, help them build up their refusal skills. You know, if they've already started, um, keep those lines of communication open. These are not one-time discussions. You know, this is an, an organic process where you really want your relationship with your child to be primary. And especially if your child is already struggling, one of the things that we talk a lot about with, with parents is, and, and advice that we got early on with our daughter, maintain the relationship no matter what. They push, they push hard, specifically if they're already falling victim to addiction, they, that is their life, that is their focus. They don't care about the relationships with other people. They don't want your interference, not because they consciously don't want it, but, but the drugs have taken over, the substances have taken over and they will push hard to keep you out of their lives. Um, Ilana, thank God, is now almost three years in recovery. And one of the things she talks about, the main part of her recovery was that we stood by her no matter what, that we, we kept a relationship with her, that we stuck with her, that we told her we were there for her. And there were many, many times we thought that was falling on deaf ears and you know, it was, it was heard. And I think that's something that well, parents have to know. <laughs> I'm sorry, what? Tell that to that blogger, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know I'm such a bad parent, <laughs> um, but that, you know, that's an important message that parents need to know that, that, you know, um, they need to stand by their relationship with their kid, but, but that's why I talk about talking about it young and, and hopefully before exposure and maintaining that communication and those lines of, of dialogue throughout so that if God forbid, there is a problem, you're there, you know, you know, that you've been an active part of their life. You have a trusting nurturing relationship with them. And hopefully that's something that, you know, is the groundwork for helping them through their struggles. So, so incredible. And, and I think you touched on this and maybe in the future program, we'll talk about this more. To me, one of the things that's just racing through my head is this whole balance of, you know, trusting, we want to trust our kids and, and express that trust and tell them this trust while also being aware and educated and, you know, looking out for these things. And so I can imagine that's, what a, a, a difficult balance to strike, but a necessary balance to strike. And uh, so, so thank you for touching on that point. Um, I, I do want to, to follow up just about one thing you said, if that's okay. Um, you know, you, you mentioned this idea of getting educated. So there's a lot of parents and good parents, I think, who may not know a lot of these things and honestly may not even know what it means or how to get themselves educated on this. Um, you know, what, what, I guess, off the top of your head, can you just tell our listeners that might be wondering, well, I want to get educated, but what do I have to do? What does that mean? Well, have CCSA come and speak to you. That's <laughs> <Okay. laughs> um, No, we, we have, I mean, again, I'm not a clinician, but we employ um, clinicians on our behalf that, that, you know, come and speak. We speak about our story. We talk about our history. We talk about, you know, what we went through and, and kind of the anecdotal evidence around us and, and what we've you know, gone through with our support group and other families and, you know, what we've learned along our journey. Um, 
but you know, we have somebody who's professional who talks, you know, I know I sound professional because I've probably given this speech many, many times, but um, you know, somebody professionally who can talk about um, communication skills and you know, what, what's going on in terms of drug trends. Um, you know, we had a school presentation last year for a high school, it was 10th grade parents. And I just remember, you know, one parent said exactly what I said in the beginning of this conversation, you know, I, I don't want to talk about this with my kid because they don't know about this. And, and if I talk about this, they don't know about this. And I'm thinking, okay, you know, Netflix, <laughs> you know, like whatever, there's, there's, you know, culture, whatever. I mean, they're seeing it, whether, they, whether you know it or not, they're seeing it. And, and to stick your head in the sand, and I'm not criticizing this person at all because I understand the, the desire, but to stick your head in the sand and say, my kid's never going to get involved in this. Um, you know, unfortunately, you don't know where that journey is going to begin for your child. And it, it may not even be something, you know, horrible, like going to a party and, you know, experimenting. It may be something else that leads them down that path, something legitimate, like I said, about like a prescription medication. Um, you know, I know my daughter's journey, it really began the night before high school, but um, her her the depth of her addiction really started in college when she started abusing Adderall and she was prescribed Adderall and she used it to stay up late to study and do papers and do well. And she felt, you know, kind of pressured and she was self-medicating and, you know, there was history behind it. Like I said, that started before that, but um, you know, you don't know where that journey is going to take you. And specifically when they are out of your house, you know, when they're 18, 19, 20, um, they're still not, their brains are still not fully matured and they're out there. They are going to be exposed on college campuses. I don't care if it's Stern or YU or Lander, they're going to be exposed um, and they need to be equipped. And that's one of the reasons why we say, you know, really get yourself educated, get the information. And whether it's, you know, an organization like ours that comes and talks to you or whether you do research, we have on our website, we have great FAQs. Um, with short answers to a lot of really common questions and then, you know, links to vetted, reliable resources that, you know, you can dig deeper and really do some research on your own. Right. So dig for those resources and find those people on the front line who are educated and find out about it so that you're prepared. Yeah, I, that's my big advice. <laughs> that's, that's great, big advice. And, and on that note of big advice, if we could leave you with one, one final question, or unless more comes up. <laughs> um, but we, we like to ask this to our guests. It's a fun one and they usually hesitate. So it's okay if you, if you have to hesitate for a minute to think about it, it's a big question. But what is one message that you would like to leave our listeners with? I think the biggest message is that you are not alone. Um, I think, you know, I just wrote an article about how we used to refer to cancer as the C word, you know, um, and cultural references in that article about, you know, whispering it or, you know, not really talking about it because people felt ashamed. They felt stigmatized. They thought they did something to, you know, bring on the disease. And obviously science knows better. We know better. Um, so I want people to understand there's nothing to be ashamed or embarrassed about. It is a disease. You need to get help, get the help you need and to just trust and know that you're not alone in this. That, that is the most important thing. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us and enlightening us. This is really incredible work you are doing and we look forward to partnering with you, partnering with you in the future. Thank, Thank you for having me again. Thank you so much, Leanne. And 
For all those listeners, look out for the PR for future uh, programmings to hear more of the amazing, great insight from Leanne. Have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening to this episode of Mental Health Matters. To learn more about Madrigos Midwest, visit us at madrigosmidwest.org. Please join us next time as we discuss another mental health matter.